the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. Everything that Jesus taught, lived, and died for depended upon one thing, an empty tomb and his resurrection and his appearance to his followers. We have looked at many aspects of the resurrection, starting with the crucifixion. And we want to continue looking at the, the scriptures and looking behind what the scriptures are saying with some of the historical detail. For example, it says that a large stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb. Another account in the gospel said the stone was very large. That phrase uh, in the Greek saying very large is kind of like going, wow, get a load of that stone. In other words, the stone was of such a size, it caused an unusual exclamation on the part of the people who visited the tomb. Now normally what they would do uh, is they would roll the stone against the entrance or, and this is probably what happened, it was a, just a large stone, regular boulder, they rolled against the entrance because it was a new tomb and maybe they hadn't finished it yet because the description is not the normal one for the way they would roll the stone. Normally they'd have a slab of stone about this wide and about this tall and there would be a trough going up, a ledge, alongside the front to the right of the tomb, uh, entrance. And they would place the stone there with a peg. And then once they prepared the body, put it in there, all they had to do was pull the peg, the stone would roll down and lodge against uh, a stone on the other side and seal the tomb. But the way the Greek describes the stone being rolled it was probably more of a regular round boulder rolled up against it. Now it says it was a very large stone. In one of the oldest manuscripts uh, that we have in the New Testament, within the text, within parentheses, meaning it was added, and it usually means it was the thought of that day. And in Mark 16 it says, a stone, and in parentheses, that could not be moved by 15 men in the parenthesis. And I think the emphasis of that phrase shows that it was an extremely large stone. I had been lecturing at a very famous um, engineering college, and I had spoken on the resurrection. Several of the professors who heard me speak later went to Israel with that university, and they'd remembered what I'd said about the size of the stone. So as engineers, they took the type of stone they were over there, used in the day of Christ, and they calculated the size of the stone needed to row against a four and a half to five foot doorway that the tombs had. And they sent me about a five page letter with all the technical drawings and details, and then they put it in the last paragraph in rather simple English, when they said the stone would have to have a minimum weight of one and a half to two tons. No wonder they said an extremely large stone. The body of Christ was placed in the tomb, and then the stone was rolled against the entrance. After that, it says that a guard unit was placed on the tomb. The Jewish leaders went to Pilate, and they said, look, when that deceiver was still alive, he said in three days that grave would be empty. 
they said, we better make it secure or he'll pull off another deception and the second deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said, a guard you have. Now here were the Jewish authorities coming to Pilate. And then Pilate said to the Jewish authorities, when they asked for a guard, said, a guard you have, now go make it secure. There can be several legitimate interpretations of that phrase. There's two alternatives, I believe. One, does it refer to the temple guard, the temple police? Or does it refer to the Roman guard? My conviction is that it refers to the Roman guard. But if it didn't, it's no big deal. It's not that critical or even an issue. For example, with the temple police, there were 270 temple police. They were divided up into small units of anywhere from 10 to 27 each, and once in a while, four people. And if they were caught sleeping or failed in their duty, they were burned, they were set on fire with their own clothes. There was severe discipline or punishment by the head of the temple and the Jewish leaders. But I don't believe it was a temple police. Now, there's several reasons for that. It says that after the resurrection, that the guard went to the high priest. You say, well, see, they went to the high priest. It shows they were temple police. No, I don't believe that's what it shows. Because here's what happened. From the time they went to the temple leaders, the temple leaders, I believe, had to send a commission out to the two because they came and they told the Jewish leaders what had happened. They said, we don't know what happened here, but all we know is the tomb is empty and there was this earthquake and this bright light and all. Well, they didn't believe him. I believe they sent a commission out to the tomb. They examined it, came back, and they said, something unusual happened. They could not find a fault in the guard's explanation. They, somehow they must have been convinced that they weren't derelict. And so they bribed the guards. It says they gave them money. Now, if it had been the temple police, I do not believe the Jewish leaders would have bribed their own police. They would have threatened them with death. They would have threatened them with severe punishment if they did not spread the rumor. And they said, look, take this money and spread the rumor among the people that while you were asleep, and for them to say that, boy, they had to be desperate because nobody would believe that. They didn't believe it then. They don't believe it now. But they had no other story they could tell and said, okay, you take this money. They bribed them and said, spread abroad that while you were sleeping, the disciples came in and stole the body and have run around the countryside proclaiming Christ is alive. And then the Jewish leader made a phrase that I believe indicates or shows it was the Roman guard unit, not the temple police. When the chief priest said, and if it comes to the governor's ears, in other words, if the governor hears about what happens, we will keep you from being cut off or killed. I cannot find anywhere historically where in any way the Roman governor had anything to do with the temple police. There was no relationship no matter how the temple police might have failed, the governor couldn't have acted against them. And I believe this is what happened. 
the Jewish leaders got the Roman guard unit in the first place. And so when the tomb was empty and Christ had been raised from the dead, the guard unit panicked. And it says some of them stayed at the tomb and the others went to the high priest. Now the reason they went to the high priest, they knew the high priest had influence with the Roman leader, with Pilate. He, they'd gotten a guard in the first place. And so then the Jewish leaders bribed the Roman guard and said, look, we've got influence with Pilate. And when this comes to his ears, we will keep you from being killed. And so I'm of the conviction it was a Roman guard unit, not the temple police. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, but then what was a Roman guard unit? When it says here, a guard you have, go make it secure, the Greek grammar is like saying, okay, you have this, I give it to you, now you go make it secure. So here's the Roman guard, you go with the Roman guard, and then make it secure. Now what was a Roman guard, a custodian? There was a man by the name of Flavius Vigidius Renatus. He was a Roman historian that lived a number of years after the time of Christ when the Roman army and discipline started to deteriorate. So Flavius Vigidius Renatus wrote an institute called the Military Institutes of the Romans to the emperor to encourage the emperor to instill the methods of offensive and defensive warfare of the Romans at the time of Christ so that they might preserve the integrity of the Roman Empire. And in this book, it describes the Roman custodian, the Roman guard. It was given to me by the head of the United States military, the Joint Chief of Staff. And he gave it to me after he heard me speak in the resurrection. And he said, we use the methods in this institute in order to train our elite troops called the Green Berets. So he gave me the book as a gift because it was printed by the military. And in there, it describes what a Roman custodian is. It was not a one, two, three man force. A Roman custodian was a 16 man security unit. Each man was a fighting machine. Each man had usually three to five different weapons on them. They were able to protect six square yards, each individual, against superior force. The 16 men in a square of four on each side were supposed to, and the reputation was, that they could protect that ground from an entire battalion. They were that well trained. In fact, they even used psychological warfare. It describes that they would often have black and purple feathers on these massive helmets, and the black and purple feathers will go up two and a half feet. And the reason is, at a distance, it made them look twice as big as they really were. And when you read the descriptions of their enemies, how just the sight of the Roman custodian struck fear into a person's heart. Now, I believe that 16 of these men were placed at the tomb of Jesus Christ. Now, you can find some accounts where four individuals were placed. In other words, one-fourth of a custodian. But there's no indication that's what happened here, especially when it says after the resurrection, some of the guard unit remained at the tomb and the others went into the city to see the high priest. 
I believe that indicates it was a pretty good size multiple guard unit. And now normally the way they were dispensed, the 16 men say at the tomb, you would have four units in the group of 16. The first unit was awake in a semicircle in front of what they were to protect. The other 12 with their heads facing in were asleep in a semicircle in front of them. And then every four hours, with the temple police, it was every six hours they changed. With a Roman custodian, every four hours, they woke up another unit or another unit that was rested, took the place immediately in front of what they were protecting. So I believe here we have a 16-man security unit that was placed at the tomb of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, all you have to do is read the account. I mean, when you had the political problem, the Roman problem, the Jewish problem, the economic problem, the religious problem, Pilate had a problem. He had to make sure that that tomb remained occupied because if it didn't, it could well reach the emperor's ears and Pilate would be removed from power. And so they took extra precaution to make sure it was solid. And then it says that they put a seal on the tomb. Now the Roman seal could only be put on in the presence of the Roman guard. The seal was made up of two pieces of rawhide. And then there were usually clay packs where the rawhide would touch the outer rim of the tomb, of the door. And then in the center was a large uh, impact of clay and they would take the Roman insignia, which often would be a ring, and they would embed it in each piece of the plastic. Now, this is important to understand. The seal wasn't put there to make it more difficult to break it or to remove something or to steal something because you could easily break the seal. The seal did two things. First of all, it was an authenticating device. When the Roman guard unit placed the seal on something, and the insignia embedded in it. They put their lives on the line that what they were to protect was there, in this case, the body of Christ. They put their lives on the line. Then second, the seal was a security symbol in this sense. It represented the power and the might of the Roman Empire. And if any people feared the breaking of that seal, because if that seal was broken, Every security force of the Roman Empire was thrown into finding that man or men. And when they were found, now think of this, they were crucified, those who broke the seal were crucified upside down. And when they were crucified, trumpets played throughout that city so everyone could be aware of the severe discipline of the Romans when it came to breaking the seal. Now this was just some of the security, a solid rock tomb, one entrance four and a half to five feet tall. That's why when, when John ran to the tomb, it says he leaned over to look in. Why? He didn't want a headache. The, the entrance is only four and a half to five feet tall. And then there was a hundred and some pound encasement with aromatic spices and cement consistency around the body. Then they rolled a one and a half to two ton stone against the entrance of the tomb. Then they placed a Roman guard unit or 
the temple police there. But with the temple police, the seal makes no sense. They placed the seal on the tomb. Those were just some of the precautions taken. But something happened. Something happened that all over the world for 2,000 years, almost every book carries the date that refers back to the resurrection of Christ and the time of Christ. Something happened that took 12 men, turned their lives upside down, and 10 or 11 of the 12 men died martyrs' death, and the other died in exile. The only explanation I have seen is that on the third day, the tomb was empty, and Christ was raised from the dead and appeared to many of his followers. Now, let's look at what happened after the resurrection or during the resurrection. It says that the seal was broken. For anyone to break that seal, it took a lot of courage because they literally feared the breaking of the Roman seal because they would be killed. They would be hunted down and killed. And everything you know about the disciples, the apostles, they never would have had the courage or the nonsense to even begin to do that because they would have immediately been found out. Second, you have the Roman guard unit. When that guard unit failed in its duty, if they fell asleep, left their position, or failed in any way, there's a number of historical sources that goes back and describes what happens. M many of them are stripped of their own clothes. Then they are burned alive in a fire started with their own garments, or they're crucified upside down. The Roman guard unit was committed to discipline, and they feared failure in any way. That's how Rome could conquer so many lands and hold them, uh, the people, in obedience because of the discipline of the Roman army and the Roman guard unit. The breaking the Roman seal, the guard fleeing the situation. Let me tell you, it had to be terrifying for them to do that. Had to be more than some earthquake and an angel of the Lord coming roll away in the stone. They realized, they went in, the surprise they must have when they looked in, and the body was gone. The body was gone. And yet what amazed them, because as they looked over, here were the grave clothes folded up and placed in a certain place within the tomb. And they were convinced that something very unusual had happened. And that's why they immediately, half of them stayed there and the others fled and went to the high priest to see what could be done. And then the high priest bribed them to spread abroad the story that while they were sleeping, and nobody believed it then, and look, nobody believes that now. Anyone who has taken time to examine the historical evidence. But they spread abroad, and the Jews started to spread that abroad to try to protect themselves, but it backfired on them. We'll see how later. Now, when they approached the tomb in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the original, it's lost in the English, Russian, German, French translations. But in the Greek, every time somebody approached that tomb after the resurrection, 
an amazing statement, not so much a statement, an exclamation was made about the position of that one and a half to two ton stone. Let me show you what I mean. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the accounts says the large stone was rolled away and it uses a combination of Greek words and terms that means away from in the sense of distance. But here's interesting. You would normally roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb a little bit to steal the body if you were going to. But the account says that the stone was rolled away at a large distance, but not just from the entrance, but the entire tomb. And then the other account uses a Greek word that the stone was rolled up a slope or an incline down to the front. And there's no way that word could have been used unless there was an incline <clears throat> going away from the tomb. And it says the stone was rolled away from, up an incline from the entire sepulcher. And then the account in the Gospel of John says, it uses a Greek word, iro, which means to pick up and to carry away. That is why every time somebody approached they made an unusual statement about the position of the stone because it was away from not just the entrance, but the entire sepulcher up a slope looking like it had been picked up and carried away. And I believe when the high priest was confronted with the Roman guard unit and they sent a commission out there to examine it, one of the first things they saw was a stone. They said, oh, wait a minute. How could that stone get way up there if somebody was just going to steal the body? But that was probably one of the many unusual things around the tomb of Jesus that convinced the Jewish leaders something happened here that we cannot explain. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. First of all, in the book, The Resurrection Factor, in their I document from a number of Jewish sources going all the way back to the first, second century that make statements that the tomb was empty. Now look, when you get your opponents, you might say, when you get those that disagree with you to make a positive statement about what you believe, that's pretty solid ground. And here is a hostile voice saying the tomb was empty. Now, when you get the Jews doing that, you're on pretty solid ground. Also, think this through. Where was Christianity launched? The city of Jerusalem. Now, if Christ had not been raised from the dead and the tomb wasn't empty, where would have been the hardest place on earth to convince anyone that Christ had been raised from the dead and Christianity was true. Jerusalem. Look, a 15, 20-minute walk by anyone could confirm that the tomb was not empty if it wasn't. But the apostles went right back to the hardest place on earth to convince anyone that Christ had been raised from the dead if he hadn't been. Jerusalem. And that's where they went and preached. I believe the very launch of Christianity in Jerusalem confirms that the tomb was empty, that on the third day 
he was raising the dead. Now, we've already covered a lot of material. We've covered the whole background, his predictions of the resurrection, the crucifixion, how he was crucified, he was buried, four executioners signed his death warrant, and then they placed him in a solid rock tomb of one entrance, four and a half to five feet tall, hundred and some pound encasement around the body, one and a half to two ton stone rolled against the entrance, a Roman guard unit put there, a seal was placed on it, but something happened. The seal was broken at the threat of death. The stone was rolled up a slope away from not just the entrance, but the entire sepulcher, looking like it had been picked up and carried away. The guard units, some of them stayed there. The others fled to the high priest who bribed them to say, look, we don't know how to explain this. So you take this money, spread it abroad, that while you were sleeping, Christ was raising the dead. And when it comes to the governor's ears, will keep you from being killed. On the third day, the tomb was empty. That is an historical fact.